For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? As you know, I celebrate artists and their body of worth, and I am so excited about tonight's show, which I'm going to talk about for a moment, uh, in a moment. Uh, first of all, as you can see on the screen, uh, the word that I've chosen for today is challenge. We're dealing with challenging times. We're all getting through difficult times. But if you hold on to each other and you support each other and you celebrate each other, I believe that we can all get through this together, not apart from each other. So let's all try to find the common threads that bring us all together and we can all do this. I want to talk a little bit about synergy. Uh, A few months ago, uh, I had the good pleasure of doing a celebration of Greece on this show the musical, not the country. And Judy Tversky, who is the publicist uh, for this book, uh, Tell Me More, Tell Me More by Tom Moore, incredible book. Uh, We went to see Mary Lou Henner and Michael Orland at 54 Below. And after the show, she handed me this incredible book called Becoming Barbara. And she said she had been the publicist for this book. There it is. And she gave it to me as a gift. And then Shortly after that, my assistant, Rosa Puzo, reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in celebrating Adrienne Arricchio on the show. And I said, are you kidding me? Of course I would. (laughs) And we picked a date and a time, and here she is tonight. And before we jump in, as I do with every show, who or what are you celebrating tonight? Me? (laughs) I'm celebrating that uh, maybe it's not going to be so hot in the next few days. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to come true. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit about the word challenge. Uh, Mm -hmm. Challenge in terms of career, personal life, getting through these things. Um, And you can also talk about what the biggest challenge is, if there are any, in keeping Bill's work alive in these days. Well, it's very challenging. I'm glad you asked that because, you know, when someone's no longer here and he was much older, a lot of new photographers are out there, a lot of new things in the arts. So it's constantly a challenge to keep his name and his work alive and keep proposing things to museums, publishers. And, you know, there's a lack of outlets for that. As as you know, a lot of things are consolidated. So it's challenging every time, but his work is so good. And this was a promise that, you know, we made that, that I would continue this after he was gone. And that's what I'm trying to do. So that, so that it's preserved for people to, to see and learn from as years go by. Well, when you say that his work is uh, really good, that's an Mm -hmm. understatement. (laughs) Uh, His work is phenomenal. And it really captures uh, the 1960s uh, and Mm -hmm. everything that was going on uh, in both the uh, political world, Mm -hmm. uh, in the world of show business, in the world of sports. Um, I had the good pleasure, uh, and everyone who follows the show knows this, I was very good friends with Carol Channing. Mm-hmm. And being the celebrity that she was, uh, she had her photograph taken with almost every major 
uh, player of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, as a matter of fact, uh, her husband created a term called Channing Art, uh, <laughs> and in which she would appear with all these major celebrities. So when I went to visit her home for the first time, it was like stepping into a museum celebrating the 20th century. And I feel that as I've been researching Bill's work, especially since you said yes to doing the show, mm -hmm. um, I feel the same way, that he really captured uh, the changes in music and the world at that time. Well, I, I would have to agree with that because I look at the work all the time and I go through um, the list of all the assignments that he did. And he really was, and not to be cliched about it, but he really was in the room when it was happening. Um, from you know being on the Bobby Kennedy campaign and making that famous photograph, which was a terrible tragedy and haunted him his entire life, uh, to being in Marilyn Lovell's home when her husband was orbiting the Earth for Apollo 13 and not knowing if the astronauts were going to come back down to Earth, being at Woodstock, the you know the first one, just all those things that that are emblematic of the latter half of the 20th century. And there are a lot of really great photojournalists who also covered those things. But I just feel like looking at Bill's body of work, that the things were so spot on to how it, he was interpreting it and showing it to us, that it, that's why it's so memorable. Well, I want to talk a little bit about yourself because I'd <laughs> like to get to know you as well. Uh, first of all, where did you grow up and how did you find yourself into this world? Well, I am uh, a, real, a born in New York City person, so I'm a real New Yorker, and then mostly grew up on the eastern end of Long Island. Notice there's no G. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, lived in places like Rochester, New York. I lived in Brooklyn before it was fashionable to live in Brooklyn, um, and mostly spent my time on the East Coast. But I have traveled a lot. And I went to Pratt and studied art and then ended up um, working in the photo business for a couple of photographers who had a, an agency. And from there, I went to Sports Illustrated. And that's where I met Bill. And so I worked about 20 years or so in the magazine business. And sometimes we would work on projects together. And then when we decided to make this a, a full-time business, then we moved um, to buy a house and you know, started working with his archive. So I begin my shows with a surprise mm -hmm. question, and mm -hmm. I actually peeked at this tonight's question. Uh, <laughs> so I have uh, a, a way of framing this question tonight. Mm -hmm. And the question is, uh, would you rather be proposed to in private or in front of family and friends? Oh, and in private. I, what was that? <laughs> in private. <laughs> private. Yeah, now, I'm very private, so. <laughs> um, how did Bill propose to you? I know you both were working at Sports Illustrated. Well, it, we had known each other for uh, quite a few years before that. And, uh, you know, we were a couple, but there were a lot, you know, we were both traveling a lot and working all the time. So it was hard to try and figure out, you know, where are we going to live? If we do get married, what are we going to do? Um, but he proposed over the telephone and I said, that's not fair. You have to come here. So he showed up the next morning. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> doesn't count on the phone. <laughs> so he proposed twice. Yes, he had to show up the next morning at like 6.30 and propose again. <laughs> so you did, you did not say yes to him over the phone? No, I did. But I said you have to show up to, for it to be real. <laughs> and how long after that were you married? Uh, we got married in 1997. Um, because he, just like I said, a lot of things going on with his family, my family, and then trying to work it all out. And, you know, we were long distance for a long time, for several years. 
he lived in Delaware. I lived in uh, Brooklyn. So, you know, we would make it work. If you really want it to work, then you make it work. Well, I word again tonight, challenge. I mean, <laughs> uh, that's a huge challenge. It was a big challenge, uh, yeah. Trying to make that work, but you did make it work, obviously. And the next question that I have is identify a cause of conflict in a relationship and take steps to resolve it. Obviously, that doesn't, re but <laughs> in this world of uh, trying to keep his legacy alive, mm -hmm. um, what are, uh, again, you, you talk about the challenges that we've all experienced uh, trying to keep the history present and relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, is, it, is it very much a challenge? Do people uh, resonate with the name Bill Epperidge Bill? Some people do. Uh, uh, Bill was very active in the photo community among and, you know, with workshops and staying current, attending all the, you know, the big photo expos. He really loved that. He, he loved the camaraderie of talking to other photographers and was very happy to share what he knew with the younger generation. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people still do know him. I, people call me up and say, oh, I, you know, I was a student of Bill's at the Missouri Photo Workshop years ago. And I still remember that he was so generous. So a lot of people have he had that that effect on people. So in that sense, it's not hard. But, you know, as I said before, there's so many um, people who want to be photographers today and we're bombarded with so much visual imagery that you really have to you have to look hard at, at the work. And, and with Bill's work, it's not hard to look at it, but finding those images that, are, that I know are the ones that he liked and that are the best pictures and showing those to people. So yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's a labor of love. I really, I can't imagine doing this for anybody else's work at this time in my life. I mean, this is what I need to finish and leave it you know, for the rest of the, the world to enjoy for years to come. Well, I have a twofold question based on what mm -hmm. you just said. First of all, in looking at his body of worth, mm -hmm. as I love to refer to it as, mm -hmm. I, and as I go back, these, first of all, I'm a huge fan of black and white photography. Mm -hmm. um, and these photographs are just so incredible in terms of their texture and the crispness of uh, what he was able to capture. Mm -hmm. um, did he do a lot of color photography as well? Yes. And this is the funny thing about Bill, which you'll enjoy. Uh, he shot exclusively black and white from when he first started taking pictures as a kid all the way uh, up to his very first assignment for National Geographic after he got out of college. Uh, he was sent on a nine month around the world trip photographing the International School of America or the Americas. I might have that wrong, but it was nine months with... Um, students, high school students, and then a, and a faculty, and they went all over the world. And so before he left, he went to the, um, the editor, uh, photo editor at National Geographic, and said, uh, they said, here's a crate of Kodachrome and other color films. And Bill said, uh, how do you shoot color? <laughs> <laughs> and I, as he described it, the, the photo editor just went like this. Uh, I said, just pretend it's black and white. Don't think about color. Just shoot and the pictures are magnificent. And I think he got something like 47 pages in National Geographic. I might have that wrong. People are probably fact checking me, but it's a lot of pages and uh, the pictures are great. And he was so young. So, you know, all color. But he was also colorblind. I should tell you that. 
He had was very, he, was he very bad, yeah, very bad um, red, green, colorblind. And uh, when I would say to him, what does the lawn look like when it's really green? Because it looks brown. <laughs> that's, well, that's a shame, really. Yeah. Yeah. But it didn't, it didn't hinder him. He shot color for many years working for Life and Sports Illustrated and uh, continued shooting color long after that. I'm going to add, ask what may seem like an odd question, but when someone is colorblind, and perhaps you know the answer, maybe you don't, I don't know, but does that affect the way they see black and white photography? Um, not so much because I, I think that Bill was looking at tonalities, like if something is very dark against something very light, how is it going to stand out in the picture frame? And he was very big on composing his pictures, not setting them up, but really uh, looking at, what he was seeing before he clicked the shutter seeing is that a good picture because I, as bill used to say if if i can't communicate something um through the way a picture looks no one's going to pay attention to the content if it doesn't have the composition but you need those two elements the content and the composition and he was really a master at that and uh, the interesting thing is when you look at the contact sheets of the black and white work and you might see that there's this one famous picture in there or maybe two on the sheet of 36 frames. And as you, you go through them and you realize there's only like he took one picture, then boom, the second one was the one. And then he took one more just to make sure. So very quick. And, you're, and he's composing those instantaneously. And it's, that's a hard thing to do. Very hard. So that's a lot of talent and practice. Now, what was his process like? I mean, he captured these in incredible, indelible images, mm -hmm. uh, but how long did he rush to the dark room uh, immediately to uh, get them? Did it, uh, it may have depended on a, a deadline. Uh, what was his process in terms of getting the photograph from camera uh, to print to the publication? Well, depends on if you're talking about when he was working professionally, because he did print his own work when he was in college, when he was studying to be a journalist, um, working for uh, Life and I think for National Geographic, which he did quite a few assignments for in his in the early days. He, he didn't print. Uh, most of the Life photographers didn't, except on occasion they might go in the lab and look over what was being done because Bill was a really, really good printer. I mean, if I showed you some of the prints he made himself in his earlier years, they're magnificent prints. Uh, it's just, they're stunning. So he did have a hand in it. And the, the lab uh, technicians would know how each of the photographers liked their work developed and printed. Like if Eckridge liked it darker because he shot very, uh, somebody described his work once as film noir when they were looking at mm -hmm. uh, his story of the heroin addicts that it's, very black and white, very dark tonalities. So that's how it would work. They they were always so busy. I mean, if I showed you the schedule of how he worked and all of those life photographers, they were just nonstop. So there was no way they could go in the dark room and supervise everything, but they would see it after because you had to know if your camera was working properly or if there was any problem with your lenses. You really needed to look at those photos. And was there ever a moment where he did a photograph and he was surprised or amazed at the actual photograph that he had taken uh, after the fact. Yes. That's something Bill used to talk about a lot uh, that, and, and not only for himself, but other photographers who had made famous pictures, he said, none of them and, and himself included, they didn't really know what they had until they saw it later. And, and he, uh, he, 
mentioned Eddie Adams, the famous photographer who was a friend of his, who made the picture of the Viet Vietnamese general shooting the Viet Cong, very famous. And Eddie said, I didn't even realize I, I had that picture. Bill said the same thing about the, the tragedy of Bobby Kennedy. He said, I, I didn't realize that I actually had it. He knew how many frames he made. He, you know, he had to deliberately walk around to the other side quickly in the frantic mayhem of that kitchen to make that picture. He didn't just make the first shot that he saw. So you, there's a conscious consciousness there of composing and telling you the story so that for years to come, people will know exactly what happened. And for Bill, it was always a matter of, you know, with the John F. Kennedy assassination, a lot of people still have doubts because there isn't really a still photo of it. There's the Zapruder film, but not quite the same. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, it was very important to him to, to get that across to people, how it was happening. He didn't really understand that he'd made it, but that's your training too. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to shoot a few more and we're not talking about digital. We're talking about film where Definitely. you might run out of a roll of film <laughs> faster than a, uh, a digital memory card. What did he consider his first big break? Uh, I mean, other people may have a different opinion, mm -hmm. but him personally, and how did that come about? I think the first big break for him, I mean, in terms of um, showing his, or, his reputation, I, that would have to be the Needle Park, the heroin addicts, mm -hmm. uh, which then later became a book by the writer who was with him, Jim Mills, uh, made it into a fictional account called The Panic in Needle Park. And then that became a movie in 1971. But that story was photographed in the fall of 1964. And that was, it was a sensation when it came out in uh, January of 65, because a lot of uh, news people thought that it was set up. They, they thought, oh, life made this up. This can't be real. Because at that point, no one had really seen um, drugs like that in the white community. They always thought that it was the black community or a fringe element. So here's this middle-class looking couple, you know, white and they're young and they're living in New York city. And that opening spread of, I don't know if you've seen it where they're walking across the street and they oh, just, like, yeah, they look like an ordinary couple. So it was really quite shocking. And uh, they apparently, according to Bill, the magazine made sure to get the couple out of town before the story came out. They, they helped them get onto um, uh, a rehab in, I believe it might've been Chicago and they tracked them for a couple of years and then they finally, they disappeared and nobody really knows what happened to them. I think they've tried finding, I mean, they're probably long gone at this point. Wow. And if they had gotten on methadone, they might be alive, but they'd be very old. They'd you know, be almost 80, I would think. That's an amazing but, story. And how do you think, uh, you know, his work again is a work of art, mm -hmm. but we live in a world now where everybody's a photographer yes uh, everyone every time they pass a mirror some people uh, it's a selfie right. um, uh, <laughs> photographing food photographing every aspect of their lives how do you think that he would have adopted uh, to this world that we're living in now well bill was taking pictures with his cell phone i mean he he passed away in 2013 so yes. what a picture he made uh, and i i could find it somewhere but in I'm thinking it's 2006 or 2007, right around when the iPhone came out. Uh, we were at a, um, a, a function of some sort in a big hotel. And I remember he saw this little girl. She had to be maybe nine or 10 and she had an iPhone and she's illuminated by, she's holding it and her father's standing behind her. He's kind of in the dark 
but she's in this lobby of this hotel and she's just mesmerized. And, and that is like the beginning of it. It's like when I said, Bill was always in the, in the room when it happened, he sees it happening. He's like, this is something that's going to get very big. And that really is when he first first started, but he continued shooting um, until he died. He was really um, up on all the latest cameras. If, if there was a new digital camera coming out, he was the first one to try it. He loved the the um, the materials, the um, the tools of the trade, and he was very good at. It. He knew how to use all the cameras, you know, because every one of the ca- of digital cameras are different. You have to read the manual or the RTFM. You know what that means. <laughs> so uh, read the you know what manual. Um, but. He just, he didn't stop inventing and staying creative. He, he did for the rest of his life. And he loved the digital because digital gives you so much more latitude. You have, and the lenses, the, the whole imagery is just, just a lot to work with. So there's a huge amount of images in the archive that are digital because he switched over almost immediately. But you can see the difference when you go back to the first cameras, I think it maybe. 2001 or 2002 and they he was still working for sports illustrated and at the time i think the photo editor was like no we're not using that here (laughs) (laughs) he loved to tell that story because oh really you will be (laughs) i hope you understand the question that i'm asking now was he always on assignment uh quite often until um he finally took a retirement in 2005, but he kept shooting. He did a whole story up where we live in Connecticut on, you know, the, a whole family of farmers that he shot for nine years. Uh, they keep, I hope they're not watching because they keep asking me, what are you doing with the pictures? <laughs> so that's another project. But yeah, he, he lived to make photographs. He loved it. That was his life. I have a question from Danielle and mm-hmm. she and I are on the same wavelength right mm-hmm. now. Um, did his or your favorite photos ever differ from his favorite subjects? Let's start there. Mm, his favorite subjects. Well, remember, I didn't know Bill until 1986, and he'd been shooting from the mid-50s all the way through. Mm-hmm. So by, he was 47 when I met him, so he already had a huge body of work. But the funny thing is, is that I had seen his work and hadn't met him until 1986, when I was going to college, uh, everybody had that book, The Best of Life. And so you would look through and and they did that book right after the magazine folded as a as a weekly. So I knew his photographs and I thought, wow, these are amazing. So, yeah, a lot of his favorites I liked also. Yep. We didn't often disagree on which pictures, but it it would be a, um, a good photo fight, we would call it, for how many you could put in a, a book proposal or the final book, like the Barber book. Which we're going to get to. I know there are a lot of other fans watching. Can we fit in there? Because publishers will only print so many. It, it's expensive. So there are a lot of Barbara fans watching tonight, and I know that they're sitting there waiting. Is he going to talk about Barbara? We're going to talk about Barbara. Uh, the other question that Daniel has is: Did uh, did he find it easier or more difficult to shoot a subject that he considered a favorite? Uh, Bill tried very hard and was, I'd say, usually successful in staying uh, objective with his subjects. And he, he did say once that um, with Senator Robert Kennedy that he said the, the force of that man's personality was such that it really that he he had a hard time separating himself from, you know, he, he liked him and respected him. But he still was a journalist. He still stuck to that. Um, but I. 
I can't say that there, you know, Bill was not the kind of photographer who really wanted to be your friend. If say he photographed you for an assignment, mm-hmm. he wouldn't, you know, you might say, Oh, I really like you, Bill. Cause everybody liked Bill. If you met him, you would be like, God, I really like this guy. He's so interesting. I mean, that's just the effect he had on people, but he wasn't so concerned with, you know, following up with you later. Like you might give him, you, you might say, Oh, here's my card. Call me. We'll have lunch. You know, you would have to, hunt him down to get him to have lunch with you <laughs> unless it was a you know a coincidence you were both in the same place at the same time because he was always busy that he was doing what he liked to do so he didn't stop to say oh i just shot uh, i just photographed clint eastwood which he did on the set of dirty harry he didn't worry about oh am i gonna see him later and be friends with him he he just wasn't like that some people do that but bill wasn't he wasn't into that now, I want to talk about the evolution of a book, specifically mm-hmm. Becoming Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I also think about when I think of Bill's work is his patience, mm-hmm. because he covered a subject over the course of many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and was this something that was that he just gravitated towards or was just something that happened by osmosis? You mean specifically with the Barbara? Well, uh, with any subject that he, I mean, um, he, didn't, he covered well, over the course of several years. He didn't like to do the same thing again. He felt if he if he'd covered something and he really nailed it, he didn't want to go back and do it again. But there were occasions where he was um, given assignments to go back, like with Senator Kennedy. He covered him in '66 for uh, you know a good length of time, and then again when he was running for president, and that was something he wanted to do because he thought this is something it's a, a historic, it's a really good story, and he liked the story aspect of it plus the pictures. So he he did ask to do that, but um, with the Barbara pictures, he was sent to photograph her. He's given an assignment to photograph her, and. Um, she was very young. It was right, uh, I think it was in January of 63. And she hadn't signed yet to do Funny Girl. She was about to, because some of the pictures are David Merrick, where she's going over to meet with him. Um, but the second part of it, and, and that, that first assignment was a few days, because I think he said she, she seemed really eager to have an audience. Mm-hmm. And imagine she's wanting to be a star but she's really not she's been in uh i can get it for you wholesale but here's somebody from life magazine and bill was a very handsome man so here he is he's only a few years older than her and he's coming from life magazine that was a big deal i i don't know it's harder for younger people to understand that now but that was oh my god (laughs) that was a a very big deal so i think that when when he went to her apartment uh they also they did johnny carson it's only a matter of like two days i think that they that he shot her but voluminous because if he saw the subject was good he just would keep shooting and she gave him a lot of material just by what who she was well he was he didn't ask her to pose he just said do what you normally do and i'll be a fly on the wall just you know do what you normally do and she goes, well, I go to a thrift shop. So he went with her. I'm going to be on Johnny Carson. I'm going to rehearse. I love those photographs of her. going to meet Johnny. David Merrick. You know, so he went everywhere. And But the second part of it in 66 was um, a more formalized assignment because now she's a big star. She's huge. And it was the, um, the sponsor of the second TV show, Color Me Barbara. The sponsor was a company named Chemstrand, which made fabric or mm-hmm. the, that's not right. much fabric. 
And uh, they wanted to promote it big time. So they got the idea. And the, there was a woman um, who's written about in a, a book by Randall Reese, which is one of the better books about her, about Barbara, the history. He seems to have done the most research. All the other books copied him because I read so many books trying to discover what these pictures were. There really weren't any captions and Bill didn't remember everything. But um, there was a woman who was in charge. Uh, she worked for the ad agency, I think, that represented Chemstrand. And her idea was to have uh, Life cover this. So she went to Life and pitched it. And they said, we'll do it, but we are paying our own way. You're not going to own us. She's not going to have any right over the pictures, no publicist approval, and we need full access. And, and they agreed to that. But the challenge for Bill was that uh, Barbara would try and sneak off, even though <laughs> they had full access. So, you know, he did it, it was twice for him, but different, a different way each time. More challenging, I'd say, the second time. How many photogra uh, photographs are there all together? Because I'm sure there are well, many that did not end up in the book. Thousands, thousands. And the problem was she looks great in every picture. There's no bad pictures of her. I, I you know, I know everyone has these stories about, oh, she only wants to be seen from the left side. But there's pictures of her in the book from the right side. She looks great. I, I could not find a bad picture of her. I no, the pictures are brilliant. Yeah, yeah. she photographed a book tonight, so yeah, away one. So yeah, but they are available, so you can still purchase them if you Prince don't want to. You can buy prints through the Monroe Gallery. <laughs> uh, so when you had all these photographs together, how did the book come about? And what were the legalities of getting this book together uh, mm -hmm. with Barbara? Um, you know, she's very much uh, mm -hmm. involved in every aspect of her life and career. Mm -hmm. uh, and everyone, I'm sure you wanted to be respectful of her mm -hmm. wishes as well. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate those waters? Well, remember, this book, well, we started it in 1993, I think. Um, I, I came across a picture when I was working at the at Life when it was a monthly. And I, it was Barbara Streisand. And I turned it over to see who the credit was on the back. And it said Bill Epridge. And so I immediately called up Bill. I'm like, you never told me you photographed Barbara Streisand? Ah. So uh, he got the pictures out of the lab because he wanted to see how much was there. He hadn't looked at them in years. And we started going through them and, you know, making, uh, you know, dummies, book dummies, printing the pictures up. And there were so many. There were hundreds that were possibilities. And so we finally narrowed it down to about 200, which still was too many. But we made a big book dummy and, um, you know, with like pages, looked like a real book. And I started showing that around to, to publishers, mostly in New York. And uh, there were a couple who were really interested Um Simon Schuster and also Abrams, the original Abrams at the time. And the, the reason we didn't go with any of them, we didn't do the book at that time is because they wanted to show it to her. And we kept saying, but there's no publicist approval on these photos. There, there never was. And so if we do this and she wants to change it or her publicity people get involved and then it's going to become a big mess because I, you know, working for magazines, I've had this happen where the publicity people get involved and, and then you end up killing the story because it's it's mm -hmm. a mess. And Bill was very adamant that he wanted, you know, editorial control over this. He said there weren't there was no publicist approval from the beginning. Why should I give that away now? So it, it sat. We had, you know, we had three three publishers actually were interested, and all of them wanted that. And we said, now we can't do that. So I let it sit 
uh, Bill, you know, we periodically would bring it out. And then when we met with Rizzoli to do the Beatles book, we told them about the Barbara stuff. We said, by the way, would you like to see this? Just curious. <laughs> Might as well try again. And uh, they wanted to do it. So they did it um, after Bill passed away. You know, the Beatles book came out right after he died. And then they, two years later, they said, we think we want to do the Barbara book. So I said, okay. But they, I think they were interested because there was a rumor she was writing a memoir and they thought it would come out at the same time. So that's how publishers think they like to peg it. But that memoir has never come out. That's true. But she's never. Uh, she keeps saying she, it's going to come out. Yes, and she did and her. Barbie, if you're watching, I want you on the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how it happened. But we didn't um, we didn't really worry about uh, getting permission. I, I actually spoke to her. Oh God, there's a guy. He's if he's still around. It was her longtime publicist, not Marty, but there's another guy, and I the name escapes me. But I spoke to him. He actually called our house. Um, when Bill was still alive and he wanted to um, get a picture of Barbara for her design book. He said, could we use this? And I said, sure. And while I have you on the phone, let me tell you, let me ask you about this book we're working on. I said, do you think she would mind? And he goes, no, he goes, he goes, but are you going to show it to her? I said, I wasn't planning to. So she, he must've told her, you know, she would have known. And I said, you know, there's nothing bad in here. It's a beautiful tribute to her. Oh, it's a gorgeous tribute. Yeah. But we did, and Judy Tversky could vouch for this, the day that we got the first advanced copy, we took a cab over to her publicist, um, I think it's Norman Sunshine, to drop off a book so that she would have it before it hit the, um, you know, all the reviews. So we don't know if she ever got it, but we did drop it off there. So, but no, you know, no legal problems. I, you know, the Barbara Streisand effect where people say, oh, she sues everyone. She really doesn't. She only sued the California Coastal Commission <laughs> and that was dismissed. So you know, it's amazing how these images, you know, I have a friend, mm -hmm. uh, he may be watching Don Berger, uh, greatest limousine driver in the world. If you ever need a limousine driver in San Francisco, that's mm -hmm. my plug for you, Don. But he tells this story that he once had Diana Ross in the car. Mm -hmm. And he was told, do not look her in the eye. Whatever you do, do not look her in the <laughs> eye. So he's in the rearview mirror doing this. <laughs> and she said, what are you doing? And he said, I was told not to look you in the eye. <laughs> and she started laughing. And she said, that's absurd. So these stories just get perpetrated about it. Mm -hmm. But he, I mean, Barbara, as you said, this was very early uh, at the beginning of her career. Mm -hmm. And then that jump to, she had done the Judy Garland show and she did mm -hmm. all these television shows. And it's amazing because we will never have the kind of trajectory of a career that we had with hers. Ever. No, no. And you look at those television specials. Mm -hmm. She insisted no guest stars that would mm -hmm. just do her mm -hmm. doing what she does best. Um, and he captures these incredible images behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. uh, but a family would sit down. I was a kid, but we sat mm -hmm. down as a family and watched those specials. Right. Uh, and then by the time she got the funny girl, the movie, mm -hmm. the household name. Yes. Yeah. And she was just off right after they, uh, right after Bill finished photographing her for that second part. I think she was going to be starring in the London stage production of funny girl before the movie i think that was from what i read in some of the books that that was the agreement with um ray stark 
but she had to be in the London stage production before he would give her the movie. So working on the book, you didn't have, you know, her publicist or anyone coming in and giving their thoughts on the book. Mm-hmm. No. But you have an edit- editor helping to choose the photographs mm-hmm. that you're going to be using. Um, and as you've already mentioned, there are thousands of photographs. Um, and these are, as they would say, terse photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, uh, I mean, when you finish the book, mm-hmm. did the book turn out the way that you had envisioned it? Or did it go way beyond what your initial vision was? Well, it, it's when you're working with a publisher, um, and I, you know, I have a lot of experience doing this kind of thing because I worked for 20 years with magazines and I did study design, graphic design and photography. So I know something about laying out pictures and selecting pictures for it. But um, when you work with a publisher, you have to have some give and take. They have an idea and you have an idea. And they had seen the book dummy that we did. So a lot of the same pictures that were in that original dummy for the book are in the final book. The cover is different. We had chosen a different picture for the cover, but I, I, this is the cover on this book is one that Bill had selected that he really liked. And I didn't notice that until after when I was starting to, you know, work on it with Rizzoli, I, I found it on the contact sheet and he had framed it out and said, this is a good one. And we just, you know, there were so many pictures that after a while you, you get bleary eyed because you can only put so many in, but with Rizzoli, they were very, um, very cooperative as you know, the layout started and some of the things I, I asked to change. I mean, it's pretty much was a selection that I liked. It wasn't just that they took what they wanted. You know, there was give and take there. And, um, some of the layout style, like I said, you can't crop these because with the pre- previous book, they cropped a lot. And I said, you know, they, these 35 millimeter, and that's always the problem. They don't fit on the page of most of the book trim sizes that publishers select. A 35 millimeter is longer. And so, you know, it's more paper to fit it. But I said, I really want these to be full frame because Bill was a master at shooting, composing, and most of his pictures don't need to be cropped. I mean, yeah, at magazines, sure, they crop things all the time to fit. But you could look at most of Bill's work and say that there's no cropping needed. These are like magnificent on their own. So but that's how it progressed. I, I don't it, they were easy to work with. Um, you know, I didn't have any problems. Um, well, let's maybe. go back a little further. The mm-hmm. Beatles. I mean, yes, yeah. the piece of music. Uh, mm-hmm. The Beatles. I mean, those photographs in that book is mm-hmm. equally as impressive. Yes. Um, was that an easy book to sell being the first book or were there books prior to that that were? Uh... Well, we did a total, we did six books with different publishers. Um, so by the time the Beatles book uh, we started working on that, that came about because, you know, as people always say, how do you get a publisher interested? And really it's, you've got to just call people. And there was a, a writer for, I think he worked for one of the magazines that wrote about photography and the name escapes me, but he mentioned to me once um, we were at a photo workshop and he said, Oh, you know, um, this editor that I've dealt with at um, Rizzoli there, you know, he, I mentioned Bill's work to him and he said he knew Bill's work and he really liked it. And he's, and I, and he said, so you might want to call him sometime. I said, give me the number. I'll call him because <laughs> we're always wanting to do books. So I called him up and we started a dialogue. Uh, I said, you know, I can send you some samples. He said, send me some photocopies of, you know, a sampling of what Bill did in the 60s. And in there, I put a lot of the Beatles because 
it's always better to do, it's easier to sell a book when it's one subject. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still working on doing a, a major book of a lot of Bill's work. It's not one subject. It's really, you know, his retrospective. That's going to be a harder sell. But um, when Rizzoli's editor saw a lot of the Beatles, they said, wow, these are really interesting. We've never seen these. They'd seen other books of the Beatles. And they had actually published, I think, Harry Benson's book, um, The Beatles, um, same era. And he did more Paul McCartney. So they, you know, they were familiar with this. But that's how it started. We did a back and forth. I would send him another section, you know, selection of photocopies. He would call me up. We'd go, oh, how about this? And then we got into, well, maybe the first book should be The Beatles. You know, we established a, a rapport. We wanted to work together. Um, and then Bill and I went into the office and met with uh, two of the editors. And, you know, it's it's a lot of personality, too. If you don't like somebody, like, if you know, you're an editor and I meet you and you're like, oh, I can't stand her. I don't want to do a book with her. <laughs> That's kind of what happens. It, you know, it's like getting hired somewhere. So, you know, you want to have a rapport and you want to see if they're thinking what you're thinking. It's all just trying to work together. So that's how it worked. So Danny Miller is saying he's dying to see the Barbara book. It sounds amazing. <laughs> We've been talking. There it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Becoming Barbara. And I'll just open up to a random. Uh, I opened up to New York, Paris and Rome, 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I love these photographs here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Those are my favorites, too. I like them. Yeah. Yes. Just absolutely wonderful photographs. She's rehearsing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So wonderful that he, uh, you know, captured these iconic images. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the work that you're doing, and God bless you for keeping this (laughs) legacy alive and doing what you're doing. um, Is this a full time job for you now? Um, yeah, pretty much, because I, I also get requests for um, from people that want to license photographs in the archive, like documentary filmmakers, people working on books. So if it's you know something that they researched and they found a photograph, they go, oh, I was looking at this photograph of Timothy Leary and uh, it's Bill's and we're doing a documentary. And, you know, so that kind of stuff helps to support the archive, too. I mean, so you do that and also... Um, I'm in kind of a race against time to make sure that all of the, the negatives are taken out of material that's not preservative, preserving it and putting into material that will preserve it. So that I'm trying to be done with this by the end of next year so that I can wow. everything I can imagine in what that process is like. And well, what is, uh, again, here we go again. What's the biggest challenge that you have dealing with that aspect of everything? Well, it gets expensive buying archival materials. So they're, they're, we're, I'm considering doing a GoFundMe or Kickstarter to bring in some more you know, money to do that because it is very expensive. And it, it's going to be more, uh, it'll be better for wherever this archive goes if it's already cataloged and preserved rather than just saying, here's a whole bunch of boxes in storage. <laughs> you want this? Because I, you know, I, I, I don't think... Um, that anyone will take the time to go through this and know exactly what's in here. And there's some real gems. I mean, there are people that maybe we've forgotten about, but they're very famous and they're in a lot of these, you know, stories that Bill did. There's tons of them. So I, you know, I feel it's really important to do this. And I mean, if it takes a couple of years to do it and then it's, you know, it goes somewhere, you know, I can go and do something else. (laughs) But right now this is what I'm doing. I don't really want to work for magazines again. I'm, done with that i did it 
Well, with the work that you're doing, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself being able to do all this? Because this is this is not something that you, I'm guessing, ever thought that you would be taking on at, uh, in your life. And here you are uh, doing an amazing job. Uh, how, I mean, how did you, um, what are your thoughts on where the future is and where you're going to go beyond uh, the next year? Uh, well, there's more books to do. And so there, and also I'd like to, um, I'm writing the, the script for the documentary. There's a lot of stuff planned, things that Bill and I had planned together. And this kind of work is not, um, it's not foreign to me because my first job with, in the photography business was working for two photographers who had, were creating an agency and they were out shooting. So they had all of these pictures and in file cabinets and were not sure, you know, how to license them. They were getting requests from places. We want to use these pictures. So that's what I helped them do and help them organize it. And I, I did it for another archive as well. Plus when you work for magazines, you, you are dealing with all the same kind of stuff. You know, you're finding things, you're assigning things. It's always this in the same parameters. If, if that makes any sense, it's not foreign to me. But we, we had decided early on that he, Bill was going to leave this all to me to finish because he was older than me. So it was just natural. He wouldn't be around probably as long. So that's why. But I, I think, find it fascinating. I love looking at his work. So yeah, for me, it's so not. Do I. I'm, I'm a huge fan and I'm thrilled that you said yes to doing the show tonight. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, and I'm also a huge documentary fan. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't wait to see a documentary <laughs> of his work. Yeah. Uh, where are you in terms of the process of that happening? Well, I'm, I write all the time. So when I'm not looking at pictures, I, you know, I might take a couple of hours a night and just start writing the story because the whole story of Bill's life and how he became who he was as a, as a photojournalist is fascinating in itself, aside from the pictures. And then the stories that he told me about some of the stories that he worked on. And if I don't write those down, um, I mean, that's kind of the basis for the, for the documentary, but you know, it all centers on some of the famous pictures and how that can kind of um, wrap, wrap someone up in knots. Because like I said, with the Kennedy stuff, he always felt that that was just a devastating thing. And a lot of people who worked on that campaign I've read over the years have the same feeling like this. We wish we could have done something. You know, if we'd only seen the gunmen, um, so that kind of stuff. But uh, I just continue to work on it because I I need a I need a document that really tells a story so that I can say here this is what I want to do. And same process working on a book. If you find a documentary filmmaker, or editor, or director who understands what you like to do, what they and what Bill was all about, and then you start you know trying to piece it together like what what is compelling here where is the real the heart of the story it's the same process you know with any any project that requires you know looking at pictures and and that have you know content and composition what's it going to end up being i mean i have some ideas in my head but it's not formulated that's why i keep writing the stories down because as you write it it will become more clear when it's finally ready to you know be worked on if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to tell everyone, Google Robert Kennedy, Bill Leverage. Those photographs are mm -hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Amazing yeah. Uh, photographs. Mm -hmm. um, 
we're going to give away the book, and I'm going to bring this up so that everyone can see. Uh, the word is challenge. Uh, we have a lot of viewers, but only seven people uh, have uh, commented with hashtag challenge. The best way to comment, just to let you all know, is through YouTube. So you've got time to get over to your YouTube and put in hashtag challenge uh, to possibly win uh, the book tonight. I've got some wind down questions that I want to ask as mm -hmm. we uh, wrap up the show. But I want to begin be, before I go there. Um, social media, speaking of the fact that these photographs are uh, available out there for people to see, um, how has uh, social media impacted the work that you do? Well, I use it to um, find uh, ways to make Bill's work timely. Like if there's a news story and it concerns somebody that he photographed or a topic that he worked on, I'll you know throw it up on Twitter or on Facebook and try to put it in context. So it, it shows you his work and it also shows you the importance of what he was doing and how we are still probably treading water and seeing the same stories over and over again. And do you get Google alerts for Bill? Um, I used to, but I, I think I don't have it turned on. I got a new computer, so everything's different. <laughs> I know, I know. Trust me, I know. So I've got a few questions here. Uh, mm -hmm. And has there ever been a time when you allowed your head to overrule your heart with the work that you do? Um, well, I try to be objective, too. You mean with, like, selecting photographs for projects? you do all of, all of the above well you know it, it is very difficult i mean this was my husband i loved him very much and he's not here so i have to kind of channel him and go you know bill what were you thinking when you photographed this who is this person <laughs> why did you do this <laughs> uh you know yeah but you have to really put that aside and look for the best pictures and I, you know, I'm lucky in the fact that Bill was a really good editor of his own work. Not not all photographers are. Some are. He was really good at it. And he knew he would go through his, you know, one role and say, oh, there it is. And he would do that. If I photographed him, sometimes I would take portraits of him. I'd be like, I don't know which one. I, I can't separate it. And he would go, this one, this is me. <laughs> so, you know, that made it easier. But um, it, it's you just have to plow through it. That's all I can tell you. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I'm working with, you know, the, the person I loved and he's not here. I have to kind of, you know, like I said, channel what he would have done, but we did talk about a lot of these things for a long time. We made lists of things we wanted to do, which projects. So I, I know what was really important to him. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now I'm going to ask what may seem like a woohoo question, mm -hmm. but I go there. Uh, do you believe in destiny? Because I believe I, it was love that brought you together, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but you were the right person for this. Well, I can tell you, it's a. this will give you goosebumps. I Before I met Bill, uh, like two years before I met him, I was working with these other photographers. And there was there used to be a magazine, uh, I think it was called American Photographer. And Bill was the cover story. I remember it showed up in the office and the, he was wearing a fur mask, credentials, all kinds of winter gear because he was getting ready to go to the Olympics in Sarajevo. And I saw that story. I was like, and I think they called him Mr. Coldfinger, you know, because trigger <laughs> and it's still collected people people love that story but um they had gotten someone to photograph him for the inside and they did a goofy thing where you know they had had him wearing rain gear so they had a model in a bikini holding an umbrella pouring water over him and 
they had him in like all of these different outfits and he wrote about it. he wrote a whole story a whole article about the type of gear that he was using so it was very informative and again sharing with with a lot of people mm-hmm. so i saw that and i saw these pictures of him and i just got this one of those twilight zone you know and i just got this eerie feeling that i was going to meet this person where i don't know i had no idea i didn't even know i was going to work at sports illustrated after that so it was uh, months later when I, I went to Sports Illustrated a few years later, maybe two or three years later. And uh, I remember being in, in uh, one, of the, one of the lobbies and I saw him. It was the first time I'd seen him in person. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's the most interesting person in this place, at, hands down. But then just, you know, went on my merry way because I didn't know him. And then one day showed up in my doorway of my office with a pile of negatives that he said, well, you know, the boss was Barbara. He said, Barbara told me that I can store my negatives here. I'm going off an assignment for, you know, two months. And I said, sure. And I'm looking at him thinking that's him. <laughs> so, you know, we both had the Cupid arrow. <laughs> Did you think that's the man I'm going to marry at that moment? Well, I, we both were just like kind of, you know, dumbstruck. It was like, he, he was like, uh, uh, and I'm like, okay. Uh. <laughs> And then he showed up two months later and he goes, hi, remember me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> he didn't. He was really surprised that the pictures were still where I put them in the office in like a credenza, your know, typical office thing. He's like, I can't believe these are still here. And I didn't realize the significance of that until many years later when he told me stories about how so many of his negatives have gotten had gotten lost. Wow. Like the Beatles, they disappeared. Those negatives disappeared for years. We still don't know where they were. Somebody's office probably. But, you know, he was really nervous leaving them in in my office. But, uh, you know, they were there. So that's how it started. It was, yeah, I would say it was meant to be. Well, you know, I believe it is. Um, when do you feel that you, ha- I mean, with all the work that you've done, and this may sound like an inter- uh, a strange question, but when do you feel that you've been the most honorable when it comes to Bill's work? I try to be honorable all the time because I... I, I I can't do anything else with it. I mean, this mm-hmm. it's about being honest and you know what what do the pictures show? But if there's something if there's something that you know shows someone in a bad light that's not going to contribute to a, the story or to a project about them, then I, I wouldn't even show that. Like if you were calling me and wanted to see some pictures of somebody Bill photographed, if if there were really you know it just showed them. Uh, I, I give you a specific example when we were working on the Beatles book there. There are pictures of George Harrison who, when you learn later that he was very sick, you can see how sick he is. I mean, he's holding his head. He, he was, uh, I think they said he had strep throat or something. And, you know, that can be really painful. And we didn't use any of those because we thought, well, we know he was sick, but it doesn't really contribute to the story to look at him like that. So we just didn't. So that's the kind of thing that, you know. Well, that's honorable. Just use your common sense. Um what uh with looking at all of bill's work uh has there been a moment where you found something that you went oh my god i can't believe i found this photograph um i find that in all of the stories when i look through them there's something uh, something that um is just so different or it's just such an insight into the person he photographed and i saw that recently with some pictures i was looking through the timothy leary pictures again um, because part of this is that if they're unpublished, I have to copyright them. 
mm-hmm. and you know, do all of that. And I, I was scanning this portrait of him. It, it was a candid portrait, but it was just so uh, different from what Bill had normally done. It was never used. Uh, just a close up, and and you really got to look at. Uh, this is Timothy Leary when he's just gotten out of prison after I guess seventy uh, yeah. six, and he's come home. You know, after how many years? Um, it just there, there was just so much. I think Bill really looked at him and understood who he was or what he was going through. So those kinds of things happen a lot. I, I see it all the time. But you know, one thing to remember is a lot of Bill's work. Um, you know, he would shoot a ton of pictures. But then what would get used was a very small number of images. Like with the first set of the Barbara uh, pictures from 63, only one picture was published. And it was months later. It didn't get published in January. I think it was published in September of 63. Wow. Yeah. And it was the one of her with, um, it's in the book. It's, she's tilting the hat on her head. It's in mm-hmm. her apartment. Yeah. That was the only one they used. Amazing. Just yeah. amazing. Well, they um, had, didn't have as much space. There was only so much space. And how do you feed your soul outside of this work? Uh, I work in my yard. I garden. <laughs> I see friends. <laughs> I take pictures mostly with my iPhone. You know, I, I'm a creative person, but I do what I have time to do. I mean, you know, I have to focus on this. So I do a lot. I read, you know, I do things. <laughs> That's great. And uh, where, I mean, where is your garden? Outside. Yeah. <laughs> In Connecticut. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. I live in Rockland County. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I, my husband's a landscape architect. So if you ever need help in the oh, garden. Send him over. I could use help. <laughs> um, uh, so you've already answered that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you're, uh, uh, who is someone that you love spending time yeah. with, uh, but you haven't recently? Oh, gosh. Probably some of the people that uh, I know in New York, because it's so hard to get together with people. I mean, it's either there's COVID or there's no COVID, or now there's the monkeypox, or there's, you know, or it takes forever. So I'm not that close to the city, but I, I wish I could go in more often because I lived in New York for a really long time. And you know, I still love uh, Brooklyn, but it's too expensive. <laughs> I can't live there anymore. Um, so, yeah. I asked that question and you'll know in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think that Bill looked uh, most looked forward to uh, in terms of his work? And do you feel that when I, you know, I've, I've lost uh, many friends and, uh, and I am sorry about your loss as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I look at the lives of those that have gone on and I look at Bill's work and I feel look at the gifts that he left behind. Um, do you feel that he um, completed everything that he set out to do? Did he have any regrets? Uh, I, he probably had some regrets. I'm, I'm trying to think of which ones, you know, maybe not doing as many of the stories he wanted to do or going as many places. I know that he wanted he wanted to do something on the year 2000 photographically. Like his plan was for us to go get a camper and just go across the country, but we couldn't make that happen. You know, he, he came down with a, well, he, he was diagnosed with a pancreatic tumor in 2001. So that kind of changed a lot. We had to adapt, you know, to work around that. Um, and he lived a long time, 12 years with it, uh, which they give you a very small chance to live when they remove that. Uh, so, you know, he had, probably regrets that maybe didn't spend enough time on certain things, but 
it's hard to pinpoint it. He wrote a lot and I'm still going through all the, the notebooks that he would fill up with, you know, cause he would write random thoughts, almost like stream of consciousness. Like you mentioned earlier, he just yeah. would write, uh, you know, about one topic and then he would switch to another. And he was very concerned with what was going on with, you know, the state of, of news and how uh, the profession was evolving. You know, he was concerned about that, but, can you imagine him photographing some of the things that have happened in the news in the past couple of years without going there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see it because he did know he always to say he did wars, riots and revolutions and Woodstock. Mm -hmm. uh, so he saw a lot. You know, he was in Panama mm -hmm. when they were rioting, you know, in 61 or 60. Well, I have probably the date wrong. 63. He was in Santa Domingo when there was, you know, rebel uprising. He was in Nicaragua when uh, Somoza was running for president and it was very corrupt. You know, he was in many places where and he was in Vietnam, but not for very long, only a few months because he started to see right away that it was, you know, American servicemen beating up on little tiny ladies that, you know, Vietnamese women and children. And he photographed what he saw. And the editor of the magazine didn't like that because he had been a decorated Marine in World War II. And wow. he photographed a Marine shooting somebody in the back. He got, he and Eddie Adams both photographed it. And the pictures never ran because the, you know, editor said Marines don't shoot anybody in the back, but there was the photographic evidence. Um, not saying that all Marines do that, but you know, there, he saw a lot of horror and he saw a lot of good. Um, you just, when you're in the news media, I think you see that. Absolutely. And this is my last question, everyone. So this is your last chance. Uh, I'm challenging you. Uh, so, uh, what is the best thing that you feel that you've done in terms of all of the work that you've done since Bill's passing? Um, the best thing. Well, I mean, that's a hard one because a lot of a lot of what we were doing over the you know the the last twelve years of his life was getting in those things that we hadn't done, like getting his work in a gallery, doing museum exhibits, traveling, uh, doing more books. We did all of those things. So I don't you know hard to say because I'm it's just so ongoing every day. I, I don't think I'm missing anything. I just. I wish I could wear it work faster, but you know, I can only go so fast. <laughs> That's right. Well, when the documentary is ready, will you come back? Oh yeah, definitely. And perhaps we'll be in a different position and we can do it live somewhere. Oh. I would prefer that. So we're going to give away the book, uh, Coming Barbara. Thank you all for being here tonight. And thank you, Adrian. Uh, and, uh, but don't go anywhere for a moment. Mm -hmm. And we'll see who our winner is. Pam Stubbs wins again. <laughs> she, she's, she wins a lot because she shows up <laughs> and just lucky, I guess. So um, I will put you in touch with each other and okay. get the book to her. And thank you for that. Uh, thanks for the contribution of that tonight. Um, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Um, I don't take it lightly that you're here. Once again, the word of the day was challenge. I know that we're all going through a challenging time right now. But please, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, let's hold each other up. Uh, we all have to. This is it. We've got to do the best we can. I always end, um, I'd like you all, if this is your first time here, uh, to go to my YouTube channel. Uh, some of you are already watching there. Uh, and leave a comment on the show. Uh, let us know what you think of tonight's show. Share this with your friends. Uh, and please keep it moving forward. Uh, that's how uh, we build a platform. Mm -hmm. um, 
I also end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Mm -hmm. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the eighth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. Mm -hmm. And let that person know what they mean to you. Mm -hmm. Because as my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So, Adrienne, I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to give you the final word. Anything that we talked about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with tonight, I thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you, Bill, for all the work that you did and the gifts that you've given to the world and that you're going to continue to give to the world. Don't worry about how to end the show. When you say goodbye, the credits will roll. Thank you, and have a wonderful evening. It's all yours. Oh, well, thank you so much. This was really a delightful way to spend an hour in the summer. And I, I love talking about Bill and his work, and I, it was a pleasure to meet you online and talk to you too, Richard. So thank you, and to all the wonderful people who tuned in. It's, um, it means a lot. So thanks very much. Bye. Have a great night.